You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. IBM launched the world's first cloud quantum computing platform, which is available for researchers, educators, and developers. I have heard of it. It's got 70,000 users worldwide. I think they're, they're all researcher, educated, or developer. The 70,000 users worldwide have done 2 million experiments and this can be accessed, the cloud service can be accessed via a web portal, which is ibm.com forward slash IBMQ. And another portal they've got is QuizKit. That's Q-I-S-K-I-T. So this is the first, I suppose, commercial effort to harness the benefits of quantum computing the benefits are, as I understand it, is that instead of um, a simple on-off, which is a, a conventional classical computer a series of zeros and ones, in a, a quantum computer you can have both zero and one simultaneously, which allows you to speed up computation a lot. Yes. Dr. Ian Story, lecturer in information systems at RMIT, I've got to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about quantum computing? I suppose the reason why it's it's come to my attention is the Australian of the year is Michelle Simmons, who is at work at the University of New South Wales developing prototype quantum computers. Yeah. She seems to be a world leader in this area, and it seems like the people funding the government and, and organisations funding research and development in Australia seem to be quite focused on quantum computing they see some big potential for australia there as i understand it people have been trying to achieve quantum computing by stages so the first stage is to make qubits Hmm. just one single not a zero and a one but a combination of zero and one Hmm. superposition of two states zero and one what's harder is to get those two states entangled with other qubits 2006 they had two entangled qubits using superconducting devices really huge lots of energy to get it down to that low temperature they then had 14 qubits they had 40 traps for qubits but 14 entangled ones after that 2018 intel has been able to get 49 qubits in a trap but only 12 of those are entangled. What seems to me to be the issue here is not just entanglement, but also getting them to do some processing of some sort. So I think that's the the reason that the latest breakthrough, even though it's only been two, two qubits, the, an Australian group has managed to get them to communicate in some way. That's how I see it, right, to mm. get them to to process Mm. because the the difficulty with quantum computing is getting them to do something to get the algorithms to map across to the hardware there are people who've made theoretical quantum computers they've got even those online and you can play around with them But actually getting the, the real things is, is a lot harder. Yep, IBM, through that portal, ibm.com slash IBMQ, they've actually got little tools that you can use through a web browser to make calculations, little examples, tutorials, quite oh, quite wow. a lot to just to give you a taste of what's possible. What a great idea. Yeah. yeah. The idea is that you can have, a quantum computer has to be super cold, so the way that you can, you need to slow things down 
to yeah. allow these things to work properly. So you're talking about very close to absolute zero, and you can only achieve that in a laboratory with special equipment. Yeah. But the idea that you could access the power, the computing power that potentially is there, and I don't think we're there yet at all, but, but the idea is that you can harness that and then share it out through the World Wide Web for people to access through just a simple web portal with some pretty intuitive, simple tools at your disposal. Well, that's a great idea because people will develop intuition using those tools. Mm. They're great ways for people to learn. Mm, exactly. More than just doing the maths. You yep. get a feel. Yep. You know? So they're now at the stage where they're trying to promote this, so not just through the website, but they've actually got people going around to conferences around the world promoting this, this service that they're developing well, IBM is describing where they are now as basically like a toy demonstration, present day. Yep. And then they're saying small circuits and approximate results in the next several years. And then well down the track, we're talking in the very distant future, they're talking about a, a universal fault-tolerant quantum computer. And this brings in, which you may know something about, a thing called Shaw's algorithm for factoring. My master's project was using quadratic sieve for factoring. That was amazing. You can, get, you can factor quite large numbers. But the big advantage of quantum computing is that it can do all of the separate combinations of possible passwords at once. So brute force password cracking is a particularly good application, I would have thought, because it's all in parallel. You've got a whole lot of things processing the same thing at once. So if you can store all the different possible states for the calculation, you may be able to crack a password as I understand it, my thinking that if you have 10 qubits, you could crack a password which is 10 bits long, <laughs> which is less than a byte, which, well, it's one byte, you know, one character. More okay, less. so to do, a, four, to, do, four, to do 10 characters, upper and lowercase numbers and, and letters is going to be much, much harder. Much, and, much harder. And beyond the current capabilities. Yeah, they're yep. talking about they need millions of qubits entangled mm. and calculating. Yep. Apparently... The big thing about what was done in Australia is not just that they were communicating, but they weren't using the big superconducting qubits. They were using spin qubits in silicon. Mm -hmm. So something a lot more practical. Intel and Google, I think, have developed chips with qubit traps on them, but not qubit communication. Yep. They're developing chips with a quite, a, quite a few, you know, 49 Qubits. Yeah, so. yep. That's a, I think that's where they're up to for the prototype that, that IBM's developing. Yeah. So there are there are a bunch of big tech companies around the world and universities and uh, individuals. They're all sort of racing to develop to be the ones to develop this and commercialize it somehow. You know. So yeah. I guess IBM is is closest to achieving that through this portal that they've set up, which allows you to do things. I mean, albeit on a simple basis. Yeah. I think the First usages will not be standalone. You know, you won't have a quantum computer. You'll have quantum computing used for certain parts of problems, of certain problems where a standard computer is hooked up to it. So even if you do get to the stage with an advanced quantum computer well down the track that could actually break the, the most advanced encryption that exists now, there are new forms of encryption which would be resistant even to being broken by a quantum computer, a, a very advanced quantum computer. It's my belief mm. that once you get past the limit of, let's say, passwords, so the number of digits in a password that you would be able to crack simultaneously in a quantum computer has to be finite. 
And my thinking it would be about the same as the number of qubits in the device, but I could be wrong. You need to superimpose all those states. It's just fantastical, you know, absolutely fantastical. But if that's a, a million digits and you add one digit to it, you've got to still do it 256 times. So if the first calculation takes a billionth of a second, well, how many extra bytes would it take to make it so you could force it to take a second? No, no idea. <laughs> Just four, because you multiply by every time. It's exponential increase, multiplying by 256. So you only need four extra digits to go from a billionth of a second to a second. To go to one year is another three, so seven digits. Okay, so by, by simply... To go through a million years, it's another three. Mm-hmm. So just, you just add to the length of the encryption password and then you've, you've negated what quantum computing can do in a timely way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using, using the magic of exponential growth. Mm. It just seems to me that you just need really, really, really long passwords. Presumably there, there, there must be some clear applications for this because otherwise there wouldn't be this big investment and this big race around the world to to build the first working 50 qubit quantum computer or up to 100 or whatever the next you know it would greatly it would greatly improve the you know speed of things like weather prediction yeah weather, weather prediction and i think drug um, testing is one of the areas that they mo- yeah molecular modeling yeah it's just fascinating i was speaking to a researcher and they're developing drugs for certain purposes using computers this researcher was telling me about a superconductor that will survive liquid nitrogen temperature huge 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 development in britain and they developed it first on a computer (laughs) so you know the ability to process these very large functions in parallel is amazing in fact molecular function is so complicated because it has a whole lot of parallel quantum states in it. So maybe it's one of the perfect things to model. I was referring before to a recent speech given, a presentation given at CloudFest, and this is a, a cloud computing conference that was held just recently on the 17th of March, and the speaker there was Dr. Jerry Chow. He was talking about the IBM Q experience, as they as they call it. Since May 2016, IBM has placed a rudimentary quantum computer on the cloud for anyone and everyone to access. And that's the one that you can go and check out for yourself at uh, ibm.com, IBM Q, or quizkit, qiskit.org. That, I'll definitely have to give that a look. And it's uh, kind of explaining just on that subject of, of what the the prospects are you know why all this interest in quantum computing when really the error rate is one of the things because of this entanglement you get errors and and eliminating the errors that result from trying to compute something using a quantum computer is a key part of making these things in fact it's more important than the problem of trying to get algorithms working. Yep. It's harder to solve. Yep. Um, and and the other area where, which could benefit, so you've got industrial processes, chemistry, which we talked about, d- developing drugs, and also machine learning is supposedly something that will, um, that will benefit a lot from this. So instead of a machine needing to spend a long time observing something to be able to learn from it, that process will be able to speed up so that you'll get much faster. So, for example, oh. um, a, a self-driving car instead of it taking years to refine that, could get it straight away. I guess the thing that I wanted to touch on mainly with quantum computing was the risks posed to information security 
but I think what we've 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 agreed is that 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 risk is going to it's going to take a very advanced quantum computer well beyond where we're at now to pose any risk to pretty advanced encryption that exists. I was just thinking about Hawking again. Mm. He was saying that looking at AI can be very very dangerous. Mm. So there is the other side, I guess, that the AI can become smarter than us and have all sorts of motives that we don't know about or understand. The famous singularity. Mm. Ray Kurzweil's, you've talked about this before. Oh, I've talked about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The singularity is near, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. And the theory is that then once the machines become omniscient, that's when we're potentially in trouble, which is... Straight out of science fiction. You know, yeah, just have to watch yeah. The Terminator from 30 years ago and, and that's what they were talking about, Skynet. Yeah. The turning point isn't when they become conscious because, you know, we've got heaps of conscious beings around. The turning point is where they become so knowledgeable we can't understand them. Right. Yep. <laughs> They're just processing information so fast. And they do things which they can't explain. Yeah, which they can't explain without dumbing it down so much mm. <laughs> that it's like explaining it to a child. Or yeah. Or a cat or something. Yeah, so, or yeah. It's, it's lost its meaning. It's lost it. It's, <laughs> yes. it's actually not a representation of what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much to Dr. Ian Story, lecturer in information systems at RMIT. Always a fascinating discussion, Ian. I thank Thanks, you very much. Thanks, Piers. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.